Welcome to episode 176 of the Spokesman Cycling Roundtable podcast. This show was recorded on January the 5th, 2018. The Spokesman Cycling Roundtable podcast is brought to you by Jensen USA, where you'll always find a great selection of products at amazing prices with unparalleled customer service. For more information, just go to jensenusa.com slash the spokesman. And now for a limited time, new customers to Jensen USA who are referred by the spokesman get 10% off one item. Simply enter the spokesman, no spaces, at checkout. Hi there, I'm Carlton Reed of bikebiz.com and you are listening to the Spokesman Cycling Roundtable podcast. And this is a spokesman special in which I don't talk to the regulars. I go out into the real wide world and I talk to people where they work. And today I'm talking to Ian and Trevor Hughes of a new high-end bike brand called Viello. Today they're launching that brand. They've been in the industry an awfully long time, as you'll hear about in uh, the interview. Uh, But they're launching that brand and it's a UK-specific bike it's a gravel bike Uh, other bikes in the range will be coming out later in the year but i want to talk to them about well how to set up a brand especially in the tough times that we've got today so have a listen to ian and trevor hughes i'm here on the banks of the tyne so i can see the tyne flowing through the window here and I am at uh, Viello Sport, and I've been here a few times, and it wasn't Viello Sport the last time I came here, but we'll get into that. And I am here with uh, Trevor and Ian Hughes. And Ian Hughes, I've known for an awfully long time, I've known Trevor as well, but certainly Ian, I've known for a great many years, because Ian, you are absolutely a, a veteran of the industry. So before we get into exactly what you're doing here with Viello, let's just talk about where you've come from. I, I started to know you from Scott. So start from, from what you did with Scott. Oh, no, no, in fact, you were Marin before that. Sorry. So start. <laughs> in fact, let you, you tell me the story of how you got into the bike industry and when. Oh, goodness. Um, quite a journey. I mean, before the bike industry, it was uh, probably broadcasting on commercial radio, uh, in Teesside, Radio Tees, did a lot of windsurfing, um, got hooked up with a windsurfing distributor, uh, Surf Sales, with Mistral windsurfing equipment. They got into mountain biking in the early 80s, mid 80s. Um, so they kind of hauled me in um, to talk about mountain bikes and they brought the Marin brand into the UK and they needed a, an agent to kind of take some bikes around to then what was windsurfing shops because that's kind of where a lot of the mountain bike business grew in the UK. Uh, And then out to more uh, traditional cycle cycle shops. So I I spent nine years, I suppose, earning my turns, um, visiting lots of dealers with uh, mountain bikes back in the mid eighties, thoroughly enjoyable time. Um, So that was through till about 95, 94, 95. I was aware the Scott brand wasn't distributed in the in the UK very successfully. I think it was a previous distributor, more large. Um, I was interested with a business partner to set Scott up in the UK on a, on a fairly permanent basis. Uh, but when I visited Scott headquarters in Switzerland, the general manager, Beat Zorg, was interested in having a 
wholly owned subsidiary. Um, so we set about establishing a wholly owned subsidiary in the northeast. Uh, that was 95. So I set that from ground up, ran that for 15 years through to 2010. Um, we supplied about 220 independent bike shops um, from the smallest independent through to some of the larger larger dealer networks like Evans, etc. Uh, so that was a great learning curve in terms of understanding distribution, understanding business model, understanding lead times, um, etc. Uh, and building a brand under a, a big corporate company. Uh, also working with various product managers, bike product managers, and discussing our market needs against what the rest of the global uh, territories were doing. Um, and then we're also involved with the winter sport program as well with skis and poles and, and that kind of thing. So again, that was a very interesting learning curve. Um, as we were building the brand, we are doing a lot of outside uh, events. Um, so we, I thought it was a good idea to get a big American motorhome and brand it all up, but we needed some help to get out there. So I hauled Trevor in from time to time when he was at university to help us set up and, uh, and break down. Yeah, I got to do all the dirty work. I had the, uh, the heavy lifting to do. <laughs> Setting up a 40-foot American motorhome with a six-metre awning off the side of it, mm-hmm. about three-quarters of it. So it was an eight-hour build each weekend, set up and break down. It was good. And then Scott segued into Stork. So Stork, Marcus Stork of, of Germany. So what, what happened? How did you get in, involved with Marcus? Um, well, I mean, I can finish with Scott. Uh, back in 2010 Um, and then I kind of took a year off just to understand what it is that I wanted to do you know career-wise I've done the corporate thing the market was very very competitive I could see the middle market was incredibly competitive Um, it was getting quite oversubscribed even at that that stage Um, and I thought if I was going to do anything it would probably be in a, a different sector um, I was approached by Marcus Stork in Germany who wanted a proper distribution model. He saw what I did with Scott, um, selling more high-end uh, bikes uh, and brand. Um, so I kind of looked at that and thought, yeah, there's, there's definitely a place for that brand in the UK. I could see that's going to be quite a sustainable business um, where we could position it to understand, first of all, what cycling fans idea of the Stork brand was who knew it so that would give us an idea where we could position the brand um, so yeah we, we started off first of all with uh, some e-bikes with some electric bikes we were quite early adopters into into that market that was kind of 2011 with the goal of taking the road bike brand on and and building that um, so that's why I hauled Trevor in and said look I need some help here um, to start the business, uh, so Trevor was already involved with something else out of university. So I'd gone from uh, straight university to what was Orange Telecoms at the time, then EE. So I went through the comms team with uh, EE when they were going through their merger, and that was just getting getting a little bit lost in amongst all that lot. But wanted to start off and do something exciting, and the opportunity of starting our own business with the e-bikes, which was at the time we were probably the highest priced e-bike in the market for sure um, we started with that and then we got the opportunity to take on with Stork's clothing line when they launched that so we had that for a full year 
and then the uh, the road bike collection, so the full road and mountain bike collection. What's it like working with your dad? And I'm smiling here because uh, that's, that's got to be an obvious question because you're with your dad all the time. Pretty much, yeah. We work well together. We kind of, you always say it's old school, new school mentality. So Ian, it's Ian in the office, it's dad evenings and weekends because it's just the way we've, we kind of structure things. So with Ian, it's, um, I've got a huge amount of respect for his industry experience and all of that that I learn from every day so I'll come up with an idea and run it past him and I'll get well we tried this back in 80s 90s or whenever it was and this is what we learned from it and this is a better way of doing it so um yeah we work, up, we work really well together we just come in have a coffee in the morning and put our heads down and work hard so. now I know Ian is uh, a long on the tooth bike techie person yeah. bikey person yeah are you a bikey person? Did he kind of give you the love of cycling from an early age because he, he was working in the trade? Yeah, it was, it was at home constantly. You were thrown into it. So even before I was doing events at university, we were at, at smaller mountain bike events. And you tell the story of me going around in the back, seat, back of the car as a, as a wee Ben and... Um, you but for our American oh, audience, we better, we, better, <laughs> we better describe what a wee bairn is. So as a kid, yeah? Yeah, yeah, as a young boy. And, uh, yeah, you visit invite shops um, with me in the back of the car. So, yeah, always been in and around bikes, and that's where I picked it up from. So you're genuinely man and boy. You, you've yeah. basically grown up in yeah, this industry, yeah. literally grown literally up. Literally grown up in it, yeah. Okay. Um, so, stalk for a yep. number of years, and then... Anybody can go onto bikebiz.com and actually search on, on the, the... There was a fallout, put it that way, where you were no longer doing the distribution for Stork. And on Bikebiz, you can, you can, you can track that, that particular story. So we don't need to go into in, in great depth here. But is there anything you'd like to say on what you maybe learnt from dealing with a German company in how you have morphed into this new brand, which we'll get onto in a minute. So what, what did you learn from Marcus? To be honest, we, we learned an awful lot, not just, from, not just from Marcus, but I think we learned a huge amount in our own ability. Um, we kind of grew the stalk business from, if we're talking about numbers, I think, you know, 2011, we started purchasing about 80,000 euros worth of product in 2011. And when we finished in kind of 2010, it was getting on for nearly 900,000 euro in a very short space of time. That's in less than four years. So we managed to grow the business, not just in the UK, but everything we did in the UK was seen outside of the UK. Um, in, in other territories as well, so that certainly helped Stork with uh, increasing their sales. Because you were the face of Stork, so the, the, the last year's catalogue, you know, yep. you did all the branding for international Stork, you were the person that was yep. on the front cover, yep. so you, were, you, were, you weren't just like a, a satellite distributor offering the, the boondocks, you were integral to that, we the marketing of that brand. Yeah, we wanted to buy, we saw the, we kind of took it on as our own project, our own baby, so we wanted, okay, well, here's an opportunity, they need more riding photos well we're only two hours away from the scenic lake district so let's get a photographer get bikes in let's just go and do it let's get it let's get it organized um so yeah you were the poster child for Eurobike for one year as well <laughs> um 
and the cover of the catalogue and then we did another shoot uh, 18 months later to, to update it um, so it wasn't just like a normal distributor relationship of just picking out stock and selling it on it was wanting to to push the brand further and to push and develop it um, and yeah that was that was an exciting yeah I mean we grew into Stork's largest global customer as a, as a distributor we were worth a third of his company's business um, so again that's given that gave us a lot of confidence and understanding how we could take a fairly unknown brand in the UK um, it had a good story and we consumer led the brand to the consumer rather than dealer leading it um, and, and that's where the success came from the product was great um, it, it, it truly was and yeah, we, we, we learnt a huge amount in terms of our ability of how we could take a brand and build it, especially in that, in that high-end sector. So you mentioned high-end there. So if we go backwards into your trajectory through until today, so if you started with Marin, then Scott, then um, into Stork, and now into Viello, which we will get onto, because um, <laughs> that's what I'm here for, um, you've gone from... A, a larger number of dealers and, and you're now coming down and down and down so you're getting more and more specialist more and more expensive yeah. more and more high end as, as your trajectory through the, the, yeah. the, the trade yeah. Yeah. is that a fair comment is that that's not you haven't planned it that way but how come you've gone from say 400 500 dealers now to a brand that's going to have you know maybe at, at most or sort of 20 dealers to, to be honest it, it was planned um, because that middle market, I call it the bun fight market, at the moment is hopelessly oversubscribed with product compared to what the size of the market is. Um, that's why a lot of the dealers are, are finding it very, very difficult to make any, any cash, any money, because there's too much product coming into a market that can only take so much. Um, it's the way the business model works for the big brands. They come in with a new model year, get the dealers to sign up for a, a lot of bikes and then the actual period that the dealer can sell at a full margin becomes less and less and less. So you could probably got two, three months actual selling time to make a full margin. The rest of the year it's all close out. So I don't want to be involved in, in, in all of that. I want to find a product that's going to be sustainable, enjoyable and not chasing your head like a lot of the big brands do. Don't get me wrong, there's a place all for them. That's, that's the business model that works for a lot of the big brands. I just saw the opportunity higher end that's more sustainable, um, no matter what market conditions there are, whether it's financial market conditions or whatever, people will always buy luxury goods. And this is kind of how we had conversation with the Stork brand of positioned it in, in that territory. So that gave us a lot of confidence again that, okay, maybe it's not as many dealers, maybe it's not as many units of bikes, but turnover per unit, yeah, yeah, that's, that's all right. Happy with that. It was more of a, when we started it, we wanted the business to be a relationship-built business and with having a smaller concentration of dealers, we have a yeah, higher opportunity to build those relationships and we've got that, a very core network of, of dealers of our customers that we work with and we know how they work better rather than, I can only imagine, with 220 shops, a lot of that just looks like numbers on a spreadsheet. Uh, you don't necessarily have that connection. But it is a torrid time 
for the industry yeah. at the moment. And your bikes are not cheap. We are talking three grand, what's that, five thousand, four and a half thousand dollars mm-hmm. for a frame. Yeah. You know, double that for a, a, a full bike. So the, these are customers that a bike shop would love to, to, to have coming in. Yep. But it's a rarity. So you are, you are saying you're going to see less customers, but the customers you do get are going to be more discerning because this is not a bike that you're going to see in the Tour de France. No. You're, not, you're, not, you're not sponsoring athletes to get into, into positions. This is a, a high-end lifestyle brand done through a select number of retailers. So that's your model, yeah? Yeah, yeah pr- pretty much. I mean, the first model that we're introducing kind of fits in there quite nicely. We've got some plans to, um, to, to, to roll out more with a, a specific road bike, but we really want to position the VLO brand for UK cycling customers for riding in those UK riding conditions, the state of the tarmac of the roads, where cycling fans ride. They tend to w- ride away from traffic, so they'll ride out in some country roads, but those country roads tend to be very poorly maintained in terms of the, the, the state of the tarmac. Um, it's not like in Europe or in Spain where you can pick a, a section where it's billiard table smooth and where they ride on the Tour de France, it's, it's just been resurfaced for everybody and it's, it's billiard table smooth. UK roads are, are not like that. Um, so yeah, we, we, we kind of wanted to position the brand in that area. We want to create a relationship with our customers and with our dealers. And, and this, is, this is who we are and, and, and what we are. So with all those ingredients, with the knowledge that we can build a brand, why not do it for ourselves instead of for a third party for somebody else? Um, it's taken me 32 years to wake up to that one. <laughs> a bit slow sometimes, but hey. <laughs> slow learn. <laughs> uh, so many of the other... Uh, distributors in this this space i mean i mean i'm thinking of like intense you know they're mainly mountain bikes but still mm-hmm. and you haven't got a mountain bike yet but they are going consumer direct yeah and they've switched their, their their business model and an awful lot of distributors are absolutely going that way at least partially mm-hmm. consumer direct and you're eschewing that and you're going uh, you're sticking with dealer direct so why are you doing that considering the torrid time certainly the the bulk of the market is having right now i mean it's it's a very good question i think you can either go one of two ways you either go consumer direct or you you support dealers um for us we wanted to go with a small number of independent bike dealers for a number of reasons really one we wanted to support them and provide them with a product that they could make a living from, they could make some margin out of. Um, We wanted to be able to provide them with a service from our side, so we're not having to ask somebody else if this is a warranty issue or or, or waiting for product to come for service. We can make a decision straight away for them. We can give the dealer a suitable margin that they don't have to worry about it's going to be discounted out at the end of the season or their margin is going to be eroded because we've got a new model year or the customer is checking the price on the internet if it's a different price abroad. Um, and we also want to make sure that when the product is delivered to the customer, it's built absolutely perfectly for them. When you deliver a bike in the box, no matter what happens, 
there'll always be something that's not quite right. And we just want to make the journey for the customer um, the most enjoyable. And when they get that bike, when they get that product, it's, it's set up for them properly. It works, it's properly PDI'd. Size is absolutely correct. Saddle height is right. Stem length, bar width. Everything the customer wants is it's part of the experience. Still, it's part of the brand experience. From handing over your brand that you've spent months and months and months creating, and handing it over to a shop that you know will treat it with the same care and attention to their customers as well. Um, and that, for me, is part of the experience with it. Yeah. But you, you are still giving away margin to a bike shop. Mm-hmm. I have got no problem with that, obviously, Um, and and I respect that decision to go that way. But did you, be truthful here, did you look at the Canyon model and just go, right, can we, should we do it, just consumer direct and build a Canyon type business? I think for me, for me, there's there's too much out there that's trying, that is trying to go from startup direct to end consumers because the amount of marketing involved to get to that point and to gain that consumer's confidence is, is just phenomenal. So although you're giving away margin by handing the product to a dealer and supporting that dealer, you're also getting, giving the customers the ability to get hands-on with the product in 15, 20 different retail stores throughout the UK. So it gives them access to the product a lot easier. Whereas with a direct-to-end consumer, there's a lot of canyons out there now, so they're, they're helping sell the product now. But that initial phase for launching it is, for me, was, was, wasn't going to be possible. So you sure. definitely, definitely just didn't want to go down that route. You knew that wasn't the route. You wanted to go through a select number of dealers. That was absolutely... Yeah, yeah I mean, you, you'd be daft if you didn't consider direct to customer but in terms of scaling it up um, wow you, you need a huge investment to be able to scale it up and then get your brand out to the customer let them know how, how great it is before they start engaging you that's that's a 12 18 month route you know we can get the product out to dealers get them involved with it much much quicker much faster um, and yeah that's 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 really how, how we wanted to go about it I think for sure, if there's a customer, say for argument's sake, living um, three or four hours drive from the local dealer uh, who wants to purchase one of our bikes, then we would engage with that customer. Um, we would find a local shop in their area and engage with that local shop and say, look, there's a customer that lives fairly close to you. We can deliver the bike to you, dear dealer, dear shop. Um, we'll give you a commission for it to set the bike up properly and hand that over to the customer. We don't really want bikes going out in boxes for various reasons, even just the way couriers handle some of these bikes. We've seen some of the stuff that's come back with it, they're dropped on their end. The customer's really not quite sure about talking um, the bars up correctly or turning the stem round, and they might not be mechanically minded. Then all of a sudden you're into a big, big gray area. We don't want that. We really don't want that. We want the customer to have a good experience, get out there and ride it from, from the get-go. So I think that's, that's really why we've made that decision in, in, in kind of going down that route. And again, I think it's more sustainable. But given the launch of the product, we, it won't just be the uh, consumer dealing with the bike shop. We'll be out on the road quite a lot as well, supporting the dealers, so that the customers can interact with us. You know, 
whether it's evenings and weekends, the phones are always on diver, emails are always through to us. But in terms of demos and events and things like that, we'll be out there. So it won't just be um, the bike shop customer relationship that will be able to interact with us as well. So describe, here's the part of the show, where we can now describe exactly what you've got, uh, to, uh, your wares in this particular um, model. So you were telling me before, before we started recording that it's, it's German engineered, Italian styled yep. and then assembled in the UK. So there's obviously made in, in, in Asia. So describe the different component parts there and how you've come to have German engineering, Italian styling. Um, well, I mean, a lot of it came about when we finished working with Stork there was a number of people that actually came to us and said, you know, you really should be looking at doing this and that, um, having a look at our own brand, possibly um, other, other opportunities to help other companies position their brand in the UK market. So we thought kind of long and hard about other opportunities. Did we want to do it again for somebody else? Or longer route, did we want to do it for ourselves? Um, so we joined lots of dots together and one of the guys that came to us was a, an engineer in Germany um, and he said look here's an opportunity uh, I can point you in the direction of some of my contacts of frame manufacturers so we thought okay this is interesting um, some of my friends live locally an Italian guy uh, who's a great great designer we thought okay let's have a chat with him see if he's interested in styling um, our, our, our brand and, and the thoughts that we had so we can kind of say yes it is engineered and designed uh, by a German engineer um, once you see the bike you can see the styling we don't want loads and loads of stickers all over it it, it is very unique style of uh, style of colors and graphics and, and look it's not over complicated um, and then the rest is yeah it's it's, it's built in Britain um, so that's kind of the story of how the product all comes together. We wanted to really look at what UK customers are riding in, the, the kind of conditions they're riding in. As I mentioned earlier, the, the tarmac is, is pretty aggressive, pretty rough. Um, so the first bike that we have uh, is, I position it as a, as a road plus stroke gravel style bike. So it'll take, uh, 700C by 40 mil tires. <clears throat> if you wanted to, it'll take 650B by 2.1 tires as well. Um, so it means that with a wider tire running like the um, G0 speed from Schwalbe, um, you've then got a very comfortable tire that's going to take out a lot of the high frequency vibration from the tarmac. There's some very clever parts of the frame, especially the rear stays that provide a passive suspension. So vertically, it's very, very compliant. Laterally, very, very stiff. Um, the frame set is a one-by drive system. So that means, again, the engineer can make the bottom bracket that little bit wider, stiffer, lighter. Tube shapes are very ovalized. So again, it'll provide lateral stiffness and compliance in a, in a vertical plane. Um, and then we've got lots of little detail. Detail in, there's a nice stainless steel bash guard when you're putting the front and rear wheel in, instead of the rotor clipping the side of the frame and taking the paint off and maybe damaging the frame, we've got a, 
stainless steel insert um, in the left-hand side of the seat chain stays just to help protect the frame. The same with on the fork at the front and a stainless steel guard just behind the, the rear chain ring. Um, cable routing is an interesting one because the UK is one of the only countries where the customer has back breakers on the left-hand side. So just about all the frames that are out there in the market, the cable porting is compromised by UK customers having the back break on the left side. The right way. This is the correct way, as, as we always know. Um, so we, we've actually made the frame set to run cable routing for UK specific. So there's a nice crossover, a nice flow for, for the cable routing. Um, we've thought of mudguard eyelets as well, very, very important, but we've concealed them uh, so they're not in your face, but they're there. So if a customer wants to fit mudguards, we'll have a custom-made SKS mudguard um, that looks really, really cool, um, rather than just like an, an, an add-on plonk-on set of mudguards. So we've thought of lots and lots of detail, and so far the reaction has been extremely good from dealers that we presented the, 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 the bikes to. Um, we had one of the early pre-production bikes which we did in a, in a camouflage wrap, uh, tested by a very well, well-known journalist who I've known for a long time. So uh, we put well, that we can, we can We can say Guy's name, Guy Kesterman. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, Guy, Guy Kesterman's, I mean, is a, is a great, uh, probably spent as much time in the bike trade nearly as much as I have. Um, very, very well-respected journalist. And uh, I left the bike with him for, for a couple of months and he had, a, he had a great time with it. He loved it, he absolutely loved the bike. Ian, would you not just expect that though? These are very, very expensive bicycles. Of course, Guy liked it. These are expensive bikes. So why would you expect him not to, or to have come some negative points? Because this is, these are, these are high-end bikes. Everybody at this price point, every bike at this price point really ought to be smack bang on the dollar. They, they, they are. I mean, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, I think um, it was fortunate that Guy had just tested the majority of kind of road plus gravel bikes out there on the market for, for a magazine uh, a couple of months ago. So he had kind of a benchmark of what product was out there. Um, along came VLO V plus one in pre-production. And he knows, you know, kind of where the price point sits and the specification of the bike. Um, but he, he, he got it, he understood what it was all about. It's just, again, that lots and lots of detail. Um, so, yeah, um, I think if we positioned it amongst something else similar, I think we could probably say the, the open brand um, is one that it might get referred to. Um, but again, we've made the, the bike a lot more UK specific than what Open are doing. This is like with the one by the you know the, the fact that you don't have the the front mech yeah. there you're not even even thinking about putting the front mech on no. there so that's where you're coming from on the uh, on the open side yeah yeah i mean open is one by but i mean uh, again they don't have mudguard eyelets simple mm. little thing cable routing is for international and i think open have done an amazing job i mean andy kessler known him back in the day when he was a product manager back in the scott days and gerard has done some incredible stuff with open and, and 3t um, total utter respect, but again, we're just kind of bringing it back and making it a bit more UK styley, and giving the thought for UK customers and, and, and their riding conditions. So, that, you know, that, that's kind of where we're pitching it really. 
you're right. I mean, um, in terms of price, I didn't want to price it catastrophically. I think where we're pricing it at the moment, we can go higher and make it even more performance. We can also come down lower uh, by putting different specs of components on, on the bike uh, to, to make it more affordable, for sure. But we wanted to pitch it to begin with as performance. So all of the components on the bike, we've pitched in for performance rather than particular price point. And you haven't had to put approved by UCI stickers on? No. You're not going down that route? No, that's, that's, that's not the route. Um, certainly for, for the first model, for V plus one, we can talk about uh, the next range of bikes which we'll produce um, that's being designed right now. Uh, so we're gonna go road bike, more on road bike, road bike specific, but again, it will be for UK customers. So we're gonna run 30 mil tires. It'll be one by, it'll be disc. Uh, so again, we can really, really start being quite creative how that frame is gonna look by not having to have a front changer. Um, so there's, there's some really, really cool, interesting designs coming out at the moment. But again, we'll have three models. There'll be a very, very high-end super light version. And then we'll have an entry level, our entry level version which will kind of retail, we're trying to get it in for about sort of £2,000 sterling, about $3,000 or so, something like that. Trevor, describe the customer you think is going to be buying this product. The V plus one product. Mm. So for me, it's the customer that wants um, all season riding. Um, that's the type of person that wants to be able to take it out like Ian was explaining, on those country roads that is gravelly, you know, broken tarmac to be able to ride anywhere, that wants to be able to put mudguards on it without having an extra bike um, that is specifically for winter riding, but is also versatile enough if they were doing the Grinduro event or they're doing, you know, 200k gravel riding events. It's the type of thing that could take extra uh, adventure bags, uh, packing bags, um, so there's, I don't think there's one specific customer. I think it's probably a couple of different customer groups in there that the, uh, that the model sits with. A lot of American companies talk about uh, these are, are, are quiver bikes. Yeah. In that, you know, this, this fits a certain... You're going to have... The, the, the typical customers of this product, I'm assuming here, I'm, I'm yeah. putting words into your mouth, this is going to be a quiver bike for them. This is going to be a specific bike for a specific task and they'll also probably have five other bikes minimum so yeah, that's the n plus one yeah. which i'm guessing is the v plus one where the name's called so th- th- this is a quiver bike this is going to be something that they're going to have other bikes in their their store cupboard yeah. in, in probably in their very specific bike, bike room. beautiful bike room that yeah, they've probably yeah. got because they're going to be you need to be moneyed here yeah. Yeah. to be able to uh, afford this product yeah it is it's a it's a it's a product specifically for somebody that's super passionate about cycling and that's that's where we sit and that's where our customer group is that we work with so we understand that mindset not only worth having worked with store but we haven't talked about lightweight it's one of the other brands we distribute in the uk so you know lightweight are unashamedly a very expensive wheel set but they are the lightest and stiffest out there if you don't mind me saying so also very blokey yeah. So what are you doing for the, the female customer maybe coming up? Because right, as of right now, apart from, I mean, we have got a, a, a slightly more pastel colour 
bike, yep. but even that looks kind of blokey. Am I being unfair there? Mm, I think it's... Uh, um, it, they are, yeah, they're a pastel colour. The light blue... Uh, it's difficult to describe in a podcast, but the light blue colour um, does appeal to women as well. Um, we'll be pushing the brand when we do the photo shoot in riding conditions. It'll be with female athletes as well, female riders. So we won't just push it into that blokey territory that a lot of brands tend to do. Um, but at the same time, we won't do female-specific models because we don't see the need for it. I love that. And that's also a trend in the industry in yeah. that you know, the, the companies that were famous for doing women-specific design appear to be actually pulling away from... Yeah. From that, so that's on on trend at the moment. Is not doing a, a female specific bike as such. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we're very very conscious of of communicating with the with the female audience. We we, we kind of dipped our toe in the water a little bit um, when we pushed Stork into uh, they should consider more uh, the female athletes as well. Um, so we already had some conversations about talking with female customers rather than talking at them. Um, and, and getting them involved. So when we do present the brand, it'll be seen as a as a unisex brand um, for sure. And we we, do, we really do consider the female market. That's very very important. And again, it's how how you have that conversation with those female clients and those customers of, of engaging with them and, and getting them involved. Um, so yeah, I think that's that's a, uh, <clears throat> a very important part of the way we describe the brand. Um, just getting back to the type of customer that would that would ride this this style of bike. I mean, I think it ticks lots of boxes in that you can change um, tire width uh, and tire style if you want to go more gravel off road and go up to Keel the Forest or go through the woods and through the trails. You can make that more specific and have a load of fun. Uh, for me, when I was test riding the pre uh, production bike, it's one of those you can go out and get some miles in your legs. Um, on on the tarmac and comfortable, I think again one of Guy Castevens' um, points was that there's tons of gravel bikes, road plus bikes out there on the market, but that's the problem. They weigh a ton, so this is much much lighter than what's out there on the market. Hence, it's slightly more expensive, but that's where you get this massive massive big grin element that it's you're not having to haul a great big weight load up the hill on the road. Um, it's very, very comfortable, and if you want to find some single track or some path and have a bit of fun on the way back home, boy, it just puts a massive, massive big smile on your face. And with adding a, a dropper post as well onto a road bike, it's like, okay, I get it. This is, this is truly fun. And I've even taken it to customers and dealers. I've shown them, presented it to them, and they came back and said, Ian, I really did not want to like this bike, but I get it. I love it. I totally understand it. And I think that's what we need to do to engage with customers as well when we're with dealers, doing lots of test rides to show customers what, what the bike's all about, what this model's all about. And yes, we're going to be quite an early adopter with one-by-disc road bike in, in the summer. Uh, we've seen again what um, a couple of companies are doing with uh, pushing the boundary of one-by-disc uh, and being very, very creative. And 3T have done an amazing job and having Aqua Blue professional team riding that bike out in the peloton uh, awesome really really good uh, so I think there's a lot to come in the way road bikes are going to be developed certainly seen trends come from the UK and the US first 
and then they kind of tend to trickle out through the rest of the globe, through Asia Pacific and through, through other territories. But I think a lot of global cycling fans keep an eye on what the UK market is doing and what the US market is doing. We've seen it with mountain bike, one by systems and disc brake, et cetera, et cetera, and how that's all grown. And some of this is crossing over into road and this area of road plus and gravel. So I think we can be quite creative on the curve, not too far ahead of the curve because we're smart, quite a small company and uh, really enjoy this, this, this journey. I think that's the, that's the part that we're really, really looking forward to. Any plans for, because these are all composite framed bikes, any plans for non-composite framed bikes? Not at the minute. Not at the minute, no. The plan is very to stick with, uh, with what we know, with the suppliers we know and the engineers that we know because I think that's where, that's where our skill set is at the moment with these guys. Um, so no, there's no plans to go anywhere else and where can consumers and bike shops find this product so give us your website so uh, the website uh, at the time this goes out will be vielo.cc uh, so v-i-e-l-o dot c-c um, that will have uh, all the information about where the product is the specifications geometries price point but also where they can find it with uh, dealers as well um, and it'll have the full listing of the dealers. Um, so yeah, that's the best place to find us. Yeah, I mean, I think again, um, just going back to a, a, a original conversation of new school, old school, you know, m my territory is in knowledge of the market. Uh, it's great to share that with, with Trev. His knowledge is very much on the kind of new digital age and everything that goes on like that. Um, so I think that's where we share Facebook, all the information. Snapchat. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> yeah. yeah, 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 pretty much. Yeah, probably more Instagram. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm still learning on that. I get, I get totally lost in that. Um, but I do appreciate what it achieves and how you can communicate with people and how we need to be kind of smart in that area, how we can engage with customers. And I think, again, we've learned a lot over the years that owning your customer is a very, very important part of your business model. And, and that's what we want to do with our customers who buy the bikes. We want to engage with them, look after them. We don't want to constantly bombard them with hopeless emails that no one's going to read or, or anything like that. But share with them with their experiences, with, with blogs of how they've got on with the bike, uh, where they ride the bike locally, how we can offer that to other VLO customers to, to team up with that as well and, and really create our own community of, of, of customers. That, that part of our journey as well. So the customers are very much, especially the early adopters, are very much part of our journey to developing the brand and launching the brand. So we want to see the bike out there ridden. We want to see the bike out there in different conditions and on different you know, gravel races or even if it's just you know, going on a, a coffee stop ride on a Sunday morning. That's what we want to see. So Ian, first generation. Trevor, second generation. Yeah. You've got kids. I do. So is this, is this like, you, we could have a third generation in this, this, this business? Because you're a granddad, basically. So this is, yeah. you can tell <laughs> granddad. Um, so where do you see this, this, this business going? Is this something that, you know, 20 years time, you can imagine, yeah, your, your kids could be yeah. running this, this, this empire, this British empire that you're building. Yeah, Ellie's very much into her cycling. She loves her little um, little bike helmet. She's probably be a bit too short at the moment, probably being six bit small for one of these yet. 
Um, but she loves coming in here and, and seeing what's going on, what's happening. She proves the colours as well, so it's a massive thing. <laughs> um, but yeah, if she wants to go down the route of being part of the business, then I'd absolutely love to have her here, yeah. No, I see it as a, as a, as a business which we want to build and enjoy. It's not one that we want to build and then flip and turn over in four or five years' time and just yeah. go off and retire and do something like that. That's, that's not the goal. Um, it, it, it genuinely isn't and I think we can learn a lot from this there's lots of different avenues with the brand that we can do that we can then bring um, and the most important thing is, is to enjoy it you know not put pressure on ourselves build it at a pace that we can sustain it we can work with it not let it run away too much um, and enjoy it that's that's for me that's that's the most important thing we've, we've learned a huge amount over the past four or five years um, and that's given us uh, an opportunity to, to move into this territory. As I said, it's probably I should have done it a long, long time ago. Uh, but uh, we weren't really in a position to, to be able to do that. Um, this has given us a great opportunity now. Um, we've learned a lot from it. We've got huge support, massive, massive support from our friends, colleagues that we've been working with um, and all helping one another out. So it's, yeah. It, it, it's great. Love it. Mm, yeah. It's going to be exciting. Exciting yeah. time. Yeah. And that's it for today's show. Thank you for listening. Thank you for subscribing. Show notes, as usual, can be found at the-spokesmen.com. And that's where you'll find Vielo's website, which is actually Vielo, V-I-E-L-O dot C-C. And we'll be back, actually, quite shortly with another spokesman special so do listen out for that in a wee while meanwhile get out there and ride